I am worthy of being where I'm at, right? So for me, I, I got put into those programs. I had to prove myself that I was smart, that I was, that I was capable, right? And I took that into, into a middle school because that's when it happened, right? It was in middle school area. I took it into high school. I took that into sports, right? That ability of, I just have to prove myself all the time. It's just in me. As I went into the Air Force, I did the same thing. And, and you know, I, I ended up getting my, my, uh, my uh, a degree in the Air Force. I ended up getting uh, promoted below the zone. I had all 100 score tests. I got like all, anything and every accolade. I, I was basically the biggest kiss ass in the world because I felt I had to prove myself. I had to do that by serving. You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. And when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview, dive deeper, and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, It's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation, and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies, and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations, and these amazing passive wealth principle lessons. Welcome to the Passive Wealth Principles. I'm your host, Jake Harris. Today, I have an amazing guest, Daniel Del Real. He is a friend of mine. We dive into just so many topics, and, and I thought it was going to be more tactical and strategy, but it actually ended up to be a lot more in mindset and mindset of, of kind of this immigrant mentality, not being able to speak English, how that kind of went with him throughout his journey until he had uh, the opportunity to shed in his 20s that uh, young Daniel and then, you know, emerge and metamorphose into the next level Daniel 2.0 and uh, really how that's grown into a multi-million dollar portfolio of commercial real estate and and a very large passive investor into other people's deals and including building one of the largest real estate teams in the country and I think number two in California. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this episode and so many valuable, valuable nuggets. I have, again, pages and pages of notes off of this one. And welcome to Passive Wealth Principles with Daniel Del Real. Daniel Del Real. Hey, man, I'm super excited to talk to you. You're, you're one of my favorite people in the planet. Every time I'm around you, I just, 
I feel better. And I, and I want to say that probably from like an energy or whatever it is, every time we get on a call or I get a, a chance to spend some time with you, like, it's just like you are emanating like a positive energy out to that. And I receive that. I don't know if ever anyone else ever tells you that, but at least for me, uh, I receive that from you. So I'm excited to have this conversation today. Awesome, dude. Uh, maybe because you're just way better looking, man. So whenever you look at me, you're like, man, I just make, I just feel way better after looking at Daniel, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely not the hair. I definitely do not have better hair. Than yeah, I was going to say, man, you got a better, you got a better beard than I do. That's probably it, man. That, that's probably it. I'd love to have, uh, you know, kind of take people on a little bit. I've heard your backstory. And man, you're crushing it in so many areas of your life as far as from a leader and building up uh, your, your real estate team to being an investor, you know, as, as a limited partner, but also your own holdings, you know, and I think you just got an award for being like the top commercial, you know, academy and investor guy, you know, was it like rookie of the year or like superstar of the year or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Rookie, rookie of the year, commercial academy. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, and you've been crushing it in so many areas of your life. So let's take it back. Like young Daniel, what, what is that story? What are your origins? Where have you come from? And kind of take a little bit of time to, to dive into that and then lead us up to fill in those details of, of some of the different hats that you're wearing today. Yeah, well, 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 I came, I think, I think my life, Ed Milet says it best. I think life usually, I think my life happened, happened for me, right? A lot of the things, a lot of the leadership skills that I have today and a lot of the lessons that, that I, that I've learned from really came from uh, my parents, which, which is interesting because they're immigrants, right? They, they never really got a, a high school education. They never really went past the second, third grade of school. And they left their country, came uh, came to the U.S. for for a, a better life, and um, and so a lot of those a lot of those lessons, a lot of the lessons that a lot of the things that I do today are are, are kind of framed from uh, me growing up as an as a you know an immigrant family. So my dad and mom came up when they were seventeen, you know, seventeen years old. They were teenagers. They left their country. They they came into the U.S. looking for opportunities. So I always. I always my I always grew up with my dad saying, "Look, Daniel, when, when you know when you go out in the streets, like most people see pavement, I want you to see opportunity. I want you to see gold." And and my dad was able to retire and build a decent real estate portfolio, uh, raising five kids and only, never making more than forty seven thousand dollars a year. But I saw him doing side jobs. I saw him mowing the neighbors lawns. I saw my mom cleaning carpets, selling gold and, and just all these side hustles for them to be able to invest in real estate. And what I saw my dad do, especially when he moved us into to our neighborhood and, I, and he started mowing some of the neighbors yards, you know, and, and, and making money, things like that, is that he his his why was bigger than his ego. Right. And it's like, I remember the neighbors. Um, I, I remember this vividly and I'm still good friends with him, like his parents. And uh, he bought a brand new Hummer and he's like, what do you think about my Hummer? Daniel, what do you think about my Hummer? I'm like, oh, it's amazing. It's beautiful. This is in the nineties when the Hummers came back and I was in high school. And, and then like within like that same conversation, he, he's like, Hey, how's your dad doing, Daniel? Is your dad okay? You know, cause my dad was mowing his yard. My dad drove a 19, you know, 90 Toyota or 1980 Toyota pickup. Right. And, 
he commuted back and forth to the Bay Area. And and what was interesting is they saw they saw how my dad was doing based on materials, uh, not based on what his mission was. And I got to see what his mission was. And I saw that my dad humbled himself and denied himself uh, for his goal of building a future for our family. And I saw him buy houses every other year. Um, I spent my summers helping and renovating houses while tenants moved out. I remember signing loan documents with my parents, you know, when I was in middle school because my parents didn't know English. I mean, I didn't really learn English until I was in fifth grade. Right. So a lot of those things happened for me. And, and, and even, even, even that story of me learning English when I was in fifth grade, I realized that that uh, people put labels on you because you can't articulate yourself. So, you know, as I, as I, we moved into a new town and I got put into a new school and I got put into this Olympic program, which is like special needs people because we couldn't talk, but I was actually pretty, pretty bright, pretty smart. So, so that again, was another thing that I had to overcome, which I meant I had to work harder to prove myself because I couldn't use my, couldn't use my, um, my language, right? I didn't, you know, I had to learn and learn how to, uh, how to outwork a lot of people. And again, that came from growing up as an immigrant, uh, and then seeing my dad at the same time, you know, raise five kids, my dad, and my mom raised five kids and, 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 and retire. Right now, my dad really only, you know, he bought, I think it was like 12 or 13 houses and they're all paid off and he's retired now. And now his passive income is well into the six figures, way more than he ever did, you know, when he was uh, exchanging time from, from, for money, but that's all my dad needed. Like his race was really short. He only really needed $47,000 a year and he probably less than that to, to, to fully say I'm, I'm a hundred percenter. And so for my dad, that race was, was really short. Now my race is a lot longer. I mean, he set me up on a foundation and we're building, uh, you know, my goal is to, to, to eventually have a family office, right. Which is, you know, you need, you need a, a net worth of at least 50 to a hundred million bucks. And I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm on, I'm chugging along. Right. So that's my why. And I need to humble myself and serve as many people as I can. And, bring that energy to every single room and every single conversation, uh, to, to really, to really get there. So, um, I, I served four years in the military, uh, you know, in the air force, I think you were, you were an army guy, right? An army guy. So I did four years in the air force as security forces. And after that, I, uh, it was after September 11 and after the Iraqi war where, you know, I remember my, my, my sergeant would say, this is like a month straight of just, you know, you don't have any time off. Right. And you, and I remember we were starting to say, dude, we just want a day off. We want a, day, a quiet day. And he, and he, he looked at us, he says, look, guys, you don't have a day off. You have a day that this country tells you, you don't have to wear that uniform. Right. And so I got out of that environment and now it became a civilian and all I've known is 24 seven. And I happened to go in, in, into the real estate industry. So I took that energy of, of that experience and I brought it into the real estate world where, you know, I was working seven days a week. I was just, you know, out working. And, and uh, even though I wasn't the, the smartest guy in, in the room, uh, nobody was going to outwork me. I joined, I started the real estate business at, and, uh, at the age of 22. So I, I didn't have the skill set and the knowledge, but I had the work ethic and 
you know, fortunately I started buying houses. Uh, I bought my first house when I was 22. So it was like 19 years ago. And I just, I've continued to buy and invest and, you know, I've been able, I, I've been through a recession. So I, I owned a couple properties during 2006, seven and eight. And fortunately I still own all those properties today because I took some of the lessons that my dad taught me. And when I was young, we're, we're living below your, below your means, making sure you were investing, make sure you were saving, making sure that you were a good steward of, of your money that I never really had a necessity to sell those properties because I had, I didn't have the liquidity issue. So I'm taking some of those lessons that I had, uh, had then, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do that now with a much larger real estate portfolio as we go into the recession that we're in, but, but they have not labeled yet. Right. Um, so, so I, I, I operate a real estate team in, in, in California. We, we, we just got named the second, largest, highest producing team in California, the 38th in the nation. Uh, so it's, it's just been a, a, been a, a ton of fun. So, man, there's so many things that I, I, I love to hear about, um, you know, take me back to, you know, that time of, you know, kind of maybe around the, the, the Olympic kind of program or that kind of special needs or special education, not really special needs, but, uh, cause my wife and I even talked about this the other day. And so, there's a lot of immigrants that we have friends that are friends with that have been very successful or, and a lot of people also in, in my wife's, you know, kind of industry, she's a nurse. And so a lot of immigrants become nurses. And, and so it's like, we, we think because the people are struggling with language or something like that, that, you know, they get labeled as, as ignorant, but there's like, they already speak another language. Like, how would you go if you just randomly went over to someone else's country and then try to communicate with them? Uh, but, you know, you see, sound uh, I'm saying like you need special needs, like you need special help. So kind of take me back to that point and a little bit of like your mindset and what if there were some struggles related to that? And then how, again, like what you said with Ed Milet, how'd you overcome that? Or when did you overcome that? Or have you? And what has that you know taught you or been to your benefit? You know, it's it's funny you say that now. I'm 40, 41 now, and and I do a lot of reflection on that and saying, when did I overcome it? And and honestly, I think it really hit me when I was in my mid twenties that I officially overcame it because I was in this mode of I never really clicked that I I am worthy of being where I'm at, right? So for me, I. I got put into those programs. I had to prove myself that I was smart, that I was, that I was capable. Right. And I took that into, into a middle school because that's when it happened. Right. It was in middle school area. I took it into high school. I took that into sports, right. That ability of, I just have to prove myself all the time. It's just in me. As I went into the air force, I did the same thing. And, and, you know, I, I ended up getting my, my, uh, my, uh, a degree in the air force. I ended up getting uh, promoted below the zone. I had all hundred score tests. I got like all anything and every accolade. I, I was basically the biggest kiss ass in the world because I felt I had to prove myself. I had to do that by serving, right? Like I had to serve the teachers. I had to serve the friends. I had to serve everybody because in a way I couldn't articulate myself. So I did it in a way by service. So that went that translated yeah, that 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 childhood trauma translated into my my football career, which gave me that work ethic, and it translated into my football career, it translated into my Air Force, it translated into real estate. And when I was in my mid twenties, you know, I really realized I'm like, you know, 
I had to start accepting myself for my abilities because that person that got me through middle school and high school and Air Force and launched my real estate career was now holding me back. Those limited beliefs were holding me back. And I had to shed that. And I would be happy to say, I'd be, I'd be, it'd be cool to say, yeah, yeah, I learned it. I like two, three years after, you know, learning English, but no, man, it was like, it was like 13, 14 years when I finally realized it. And then I, I still tell myself that, like, I remember when, you know, at, at the mastermind that, that we're in, we, I moved up to a champion's room and I still felt like I had, I had to earn my spot. Right. And I'm like, wait a second. No, I deserve to be here. I have value. Right. So it's something that I, that, 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 uh, that served me, that trauma served me, but I think I really realized it and I came to peace a piece with it, uh, in my mid twenties, um, which, which is the reason really why I was able to start a business and, and, and have the success that I had, because I always had, I always had to serve, serve others to earn my spot. And it just kind of bled into, to, to everything else. Um, and, and I see it like, with even with my son, he played, he played football for the first time last year and he sucked. Like it was bad. Right. And I saw him having to use his personality and cheering his teammates on. So that way he earned his spot on the team and, and that energy on the team. He was that cheerleader. He was the guy that kept everything at the end of it. He got a starting spot and he was like super pumped. But I think one of the worst things that can happen is if you're naturally good at something, right. You, you miss that lesson. Right. Because then then uh, then at that point, everything, everything, you know, you're just everybody's patting you in the back and, and all this other stuff. Right. So so for him to suck initially and me watching him use his other, other personalities, you tend to find different superpowers. For me, it happened to be work and service. So I was probably in my mid 20s. So there's a couple different things uh, that I'd, you know, so that a perfect point, you know, I was actually talking to some guys. Navy SEALs. I did the Jocko Willenick's uh, leadership training program. And so I was talking to JP Donnell and a couple of other guys that were running the, the you know, program. And they said exactly that same thing that you just said, that the guys that were like all American Stanford, you know, swimmers and, you know, or whatever, you know, superstars uh, their entire life came in into Navy SEAL training and they oftentimes quit because it was the first time that they'd ever had that things were actually harder than their natural ability. Whereas the other guys that were successful were the guys that were just like, I can't believe they let me into this room. Like I can't quit because there's no way like, and, and I feel that too. Like sometimes that imposter syndrome, like, oh man, I can't ever leave the champions room. Cause I don't think they'd let me back in. I'm in now. So it was like, I, I got to do everything to, you know, I was like, no, no, like they're not going to let me back in. It's, it's, they, they just don't know yet. And that imposter syndrome that we've all, I think maybe experienced a little bit together, but I wanted to go back. It's like in your mid twenties, like, what was it? How did you do that from a mindset. Did you, was it a book you read? Was it just a self-reflection? Was it interpersonal? Like there's, was there struggles that you were experiencing? What caused you to like put that former self and, and identity down that then starts formulating the, the, the next levels and evolution 2.0 of, of Daniel? You know, I think it was, 
at that point I was getting, I was, I remember going to, it was called the, there were success seminars. I don't remember success, success seminars, success magazine, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, like, man, all the greats. With my, I remember Magic Johnson, like they all s- spoke and I was at one of those events and I think I was 25 and I had one of those, those moments of, of, uh, of like, look, um, I was replacing working hard and, 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 and because that's all I've known, like working hard, serving hard, uh, take care of the work. The results will take care you know, if you take care of the work, the results will take care of themselves. Uh, and then it switched to saying, what happens if I, if I accept who I am and start working smarter? Right. Um, and, and it was during one of those events, uh, and I paid for coaching for the first time. I remember writing a check for $12,000 when I was 25. I honestly probably had 40, 50 grand in the bank. It was a lot of money. And I went through and they, they had me do this visualization and these goals and this journaling looking 10 years out and, and writing everything back down and going into the future and, and using all your senses to see where you're going and, and looking back and seeing some of the, you know, some of the traumas that you had and, and, and coming to peace with that. So you could have peace with the present, you know, and, uh, and it was during, during one of those events and that coaching that I first, like it, it helped me uh, discern on where I was at and really get focused on where I wanted to go. And, and by doing that visualization, I met the person that I wanted to be. And by meeting that person, I swear, like, even to this day, I think I saw my daughter and my son, right? Uh, I, I, I saw them and they weren't even born yet, right? I mean, they were, my son wasn't born until I was 29. This is five years prior. And I wrote down a bunch of goals and, and uh, I read that statement every day. I was part of the coaching you read every day. And I, I read, it was, uh, I was sharing a room with David Green like five, six years ago at, at an event. And I took out that mission statement that I wrote in 2005. And I read it to, I read it to myself and I read it to him. And I remember writing those goals down, like I'm going to have, you know, $3 million in net worth and, you know, all this other stuff. And there were big dreams. I mean, I had 50, less than 50 grand. I just spent $12,900 for this course. Like I didn't have a lot of money. And, and, uh, and then I look, I'm like, holy crap, I destroyed it. I like, I actually went to work, but in a way, like I had to really see myself and, and ask myself, okay, who am I serving? Am I serving Daniel the, in, in the past and all the labels that everybody put on me and that identity, or am I serving the person that I want to be? And I just went to work and constantly asked myself by reading that statement, like, am I serving Daniel from 10 years from today? Is what I'm doing today serving that man? Or is it serving the, 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 the guy that got me to where I'm at today that's really now holding me back, right? Do I shed that? And it was, so it was through one of those success seminars and, and paying for coaching and going through all that stuff. And that was like my first taste of, 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 uh, of having a coach and, and having a, a peer group that, that really helped me discern on where I was at. That's amazing. I, I love, I love that story. Um, I had not heard that before. And so, um, uh, you know, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that is so many things. And, and I've had moments like that myself, actually, when we found out that we were going to have our, our first kid, you know, um, I had, and I, I related and I said that to you, like, I don't know if you've seen the movie limitless. Yeah. Where, you know, he takes the NZT and you can like Bradley see all Cooper. the center. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And like all that, you right. know, Bradley Cooper. And like, he turns from a loser to a hero, you know, a zero to a hero kind of thing. And I was like, I had that at my kitchen table. I saw the future version of myself and I was disappointed in myself because I was like, given my current path, like I'd be fine. Like I'd make half a million bucks a year. Like, you know, eh. you would, but I was disappointed in who my potential was and who I could see and what I was saying. So I was just like a hundred percent that you visualize it. I also agree that I can, time's weird, like time. And to me that, you know, I believe there's a, a spiritual world and afterlife and other things like that. And so I think it is like time and there is a realm that maybe time doesn't really matter. And so it all morphs together and it kind of connects. There's things that happened a week ago that I feel like happened a lifetime ago. There's things that happened, you know, years ago that, you know, feel like yesterday. Um, so I don't know. Time is a weird construct. I love that you talked about limitations and how you actually had to, you know, honestly, they're all self limitations. You had to go serve, use your own MO to serve, you know, Danny instead of young Daniel. You know, you had to go serve, you know, the next version of yourself to grow into the, what you wanted to do. So take me from that point. You're now on this journey and starting to see success. You're visualizing, you mapped out, you, you had this, this state, but, but now what's the next decade? What's, what's the thirties look like for you? Um, and kind of maybe, you know, your success or your failures or mistakes during that kind of that next decade, uh, before you're kind of, uh, where you are today. Yeah. So, so I think a lot of it comes down to, and it's funny because you say limitless because you take a pill and you're like, Oh my goodness, everything's bright. Even that movie, everything was brighter. The colors were more vivid. Every time he took that pill it was like, wow. And we just had, uh, you know, I just heard something about like the four levels of learning and, and, and a lot of it, like when we, when we hear certain things, like when you join a certain mastermind, I feel like in a way it exposes you to concepts, right. That maybe you wouldn't have thought and it wakes you up. Like it takes that pill. Like you start seeing, Oh, wow, that guy was able to do it. I can do it. Right. And the way that it looks like is most people walk around just subconsciously incompetent, right? Like just subconsciously, they're just incompetent. And there's people that are conscious, meaning I know my potential, but they're just incompetent. They put no work to it, right? And, and then uh, you get to choose. But once you're conscious, you get to choose whether you're consciously incompetent or now you become and you work on being conscious of what your future self could be and be competent at it. You go to work to it. And when you hit mastery, it's when you become subconsciously competent. Right. So it's like that circle. Most people are walking around subconsciously incompetent. You get into consciously incompetent because you choose, you know what's good for you, but you're choosing to be incompetent. And then you get the people that become consciously competent and then you become subconsciously competent. Now you're like, whoa, you're just, you're like the frequency is good. You're moving towards the person that you want to be. You're connected to the right people. Things are happening to you, for you, gravitational pull. You have guys that you respect like, like you, man, where you say, man, you got this energy, this drive. I don't know what it is it's because I'm just, I've met, like, I feel like I'm at a space of subconsciously competent. I know where I'm going. I'm focused. And that's what I got from my dad when, when he was, when, when he was denying himself because he, my dad had saw opportunity and he was subconsciously just competent. Right. And most of his neighbors that were driving those hammers and having this cool, cool crap, they were subconsciously incompetent or that might have just been consciously incompetent. They know what they should be doing, but they just don't. Right. 
So my 30s was me being consciously competent. Let me just, I'm conscious. I'm choosing not to be incompetent. I'm choosing to be competent. Let me, it was like self-learning. And I dove into masterminds. I started doing one life with Tim Broad. I started, you know, I, I joined GoBundance in 2014. You know, I started hosting things at my cabin. You know, I, a lot of the guys that you and I run with now, like I've seen a lot of growth in them and I've seen ourselves evolve. I, I just, you know, uh, the concepts that we get People will get exposed to things, right? So we've learned things, you know, on day one, right? We get exposed to them day one. We learn them day two. And we spend our whole lives trying to realize them, right? And that's the important, like, I know you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm reading the Bible again, right? I've read it before. But guess what? This time around, even the, the, the Old and New Testament, I am learning different things because I'm a different space in my life. And now I'm ready to receive a different message, right? Um, because I'm seeking. And so the thing is, is you always have to be seeking for those lessons. And when you're at the right time and at the right place, you'll receive them. And that's just part of it. You know, we get exposed to those things. Luckily, I got exposed in 20, 2005 when I was 24 years old. And, uh, you know, I learned the lessons uh, with rather quickly, like we know what we should be doing. And I just did not stop pursuing trying to realize those lessons. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Look, Two of the most common questions I get asked are, where can I find good deals to invest into? And is it possible to invest alongside of our deals as a passive investor? So my team and I wanted to put together an insider list where you can get first access to investment opportunities, due diligence resources, and best practices for those interested in investing passively into deals like the ones we talk about on the show. Those deals are mostly in the commercial real estate space, but I oftentimes get exclusive access to deals of people like the guests on my show. If those deals pass our criteria, we pass them on to those on the list. To gain access to this insider list, all you have to do is go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. We also host events, dinners, and give away VIP access to events that I'm speaking at or attending. Once again, it's www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. For those that are serious about passive wealth building, we'll see you on the inside. Now, back to the show. So much gold in that. Because I mean, it's like you don't know what you don't know. You get exposed to some of those concepts and then you become aware like, oh, no, I didn't know this. And then obviously, and, and what I, I love about you is that you're also an action taker and you're very pragmatic in the way that you take your action is that so one, you became aware of, oh, wow, I, I just didn't know this before. So subconsciously incompetent because you're just like, I had no idea that these even existed. I was serving an older version of myself, a different identity. Now I become aware of it. And now I'm going to take and, and one, create action items towards achieving that goal and then, you know, mapping it out. But then obviously it's the repetition. It's the 10, 20 years of putting together in the work that your, your overnight success started 20 years ago, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's now, you know, a lot, a lot of people maybe know you of, of seeing you in your success of a rock star, you know, real estate team, you know, 38th in the nation, second in California. I don't know. You got 
$30 million worth of commercial real estate. You got, you know, investments into a lot of other people. You're, you know, you're crushing it on so many aspects, but they don't see the, the backstory of the, you know, the grinding on that. So like, talk me through, like, what is your day today? Do you have like a, a regular routine that you go through? Do you have something that you're doing that is creating that space for that subconscious mastery and competency? Have you, you know, was it a process uh, to get and grow into that? Um, and so like, what does today look in, in Daniel's world? Well, I'm it. I mean, I'm a creature of just habit, right? I mean, I did Ironman racing for over half a decade. So that's very, very routine. Right. So I have a lot of, and I have a lot of personal time. I wake up early. I have my, my workouts every morning. I do my sauna every morning. I have my quiet time every morning without, without my phone. I do my breathing work every morning. I spend time with my family every morning. I don't leave my house till, till 9am. And then I lead a team from basically nine to six, seven o'clock. And in between, you know, in, in this business, um, we, we're, we're, we're living sometimes in organized chaos, right? But uh, one of the things that, uh, that whenever your life is going to be organized chaos, it's never going to be like, okay, I can't wait for it to get easy, right? It's like, no, 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 we just you just need to get better at dealing with harder, better, right? That's just what it is. You just need to deal with harder, better, and you get there. But the way you do that is by prioritizing what's important to you. So like for me, it's my, 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 my mental health, my faith, my family, my business, and in my hobbies. So I prioritize my life um, because if I don't, then society will, because my day pulls me in a bunch of different directions because it's all organized chaos. But the things that are non-negotiable, I'm very ritualistic about them, right? I'm a very uh, routine about all that stuff. So my mornings are usually really slow because they're, they're, they're mine. And it starts with, with waking up in the morning and doing my workout, you know, seven days a week, you know, sometimes it's six days a week. I, I do my scripture and reading every morning. I do my, my sauna every morning. I do my breathing every morning. My kids start getting up around eight o'clock. I get an hour with them and then um, I'm, I'm off at nine o'clock and it's organized chaos. So until, until I get home. So, yeah, that's, a, and that's one of the things I think I've taken away from, you know, being around you or other people's kind of success is just seeing there's only certain times of the day that you can control what you have doing. And oftentimes that's in the morning. And if that's a miracle morning or how Elrod or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing and, and same thing, it's, it's, I get up, I work out every day and I have for almost three years, every single day for almost three years, because to you, to your point, the mental health aspects of it. And it's just like, man, it, to, to me, I, I I'm a much worse version of myself if I'm not working out. What does that do chemically and, you know, the endorphins and, you know, firing in and getting the blood flow? I don't, I don't know. So um, I wanted to dive into one of the things that you do, and I, I think probably better than most. And again, that could be from your pragmatic approach is the passive wealth side of it. Your dad you know, uh, was able to go buy a house, you know, uh, you know, every year, every couple years. And then, you know, it took 12 houses, but you're also a pretty prolific investor outside of your own stuff. You've, you put together a pretty decent portfolio, uh, yourself, but like, you're also a, a passive investor. You've, you've taken your income earning money and put it in with other people. So talk to me through like that journey. What, where did you start? Where did you start investing in other people? Now, what is it that you're looking for when you, you, you invest with other people? 
and why that versus your own deals? Yeah. So we, I got, I got, I got uh, two portions of that, but let me, let me, uh, let me start off with uh, a lot of it had for me, it started with um, the detachment of money. Right. So uh, I think that's one of the lessons and I keep going back. Like I'm telling you, like some of the lessons that I learned from my dad, like that, 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 that immigrant life. And, and, and when most people would look like, man, we probably went without a lot. We went without a lot. Right. And that's okay. Like I think of that with my kid now, it's like, I, we try to give them what we didn't have. Instead, I want to give my kid what I had that made me who I was, which is that purposeful trauma. I try to do that to my kids now, like have them doing yards on our apartments. I'm out there doing yards with them too. Even though I'm like, dude, my hourly wage is a couple thousand dollars an hour. Like it, like it's not worth my time, but the lesson and the return on lesson is, is, is absolutely invaluable because I'm teaching my kids how to appreciate assets. You want to, you want to have appreciating assets. You need to appreciate them. I mean, tenants are going out and working a third of their life to pay you rent. Like, are you taking care of the assets so they could take care of you? Uh, my son now knows that if he wants to buy Fortnite, uh, V bucks, uh, it's going to cost them 20 bucks, which means it's an hour doing yard work. Like, is that worth it? Like you have that connection of money, right? So a lot of it, a lot of it for me was, was, was those lessons that my dad taught me back then in detaching ourselves from, from money. And, and one of the, one of my favorite quotes from Mark Henteman said it on one of the interviews that I had on 728 is his 728 interview is he said, a man's wealth is measured by his ability to go without. And that was, again, another another genius moment when I heard that. And, and Mark Henteman, uh, his net worth is $100 million. And he's, you know, he's a very successful real estate investor. He's raised a lot of capital. He, he's a writer for the family, a very smart guy. And it's a statement like that made me realize like how... Um, how smart my dad was to do what he did for us. Right. So for me, it was, it was the detachment and having the stewardship of money and detaching ourselves, uh, my ability to go without material things. Right. I want to deny myself. Um, and if I deny myself, uh, that's the true measure of wealth because I am investing everything. Right. I, my dad was doing the same thing. He wasn't buying the new car. He wasn't doing any of that stuff. He was investing. So, the way that I did it initially, as I started in the real estate business, and I put myself on a salary, it was $110,000 a year, it was $6,700 net a month. And I did that because I wanted to see if I could live on that lifestyle. And now I had a target of how much passive income I needed, right? And I just reversed engineered everything. And what I found is, is that when I detached myself from money, and I started saying, look, I don't need to buy materialistic things. I just started putting it to work and I started investing, you know, 70% of my income. And as my income went up, you know, uh, my, my lifestyle didn't go up. And so my investable and my investable uh, funds were even more and more. And it created this snowball effect of wealth because I, I, I decided, I decided to go, to go without and started investing in real estate. And, and not even like, even today, like people say, well, do you still do that now? I'm like, yeah, well, my lifestyle is $400,000 a year now. Right. But it's a lot more. It doesn't mean that you stay in the scarcity mindset. It goes up. Those principles stay the same. Right. But the, the dollar amounts change. The only difference now is I'm only living on, you know, 15% of my income and I'm investing 
you know, 75% of it. Like all those principles are still the same. I'm just, my life continues to get bigger as my investments continue uh, to get bigger. But I learned a lot of those lessons uh, from my from my dad. So initially I started buying single family houses myself. So at 22, I started buying property and I bought some uh, before the market corrected. And I, I got to experience the market correct and us having to modify loans and do all this other stuff. And you know, I, I think the, the biggest uh, investments that I made and the biggest wealth I built was from 2009 to 2015 uh, when the sky was falling. I was catching falling knives, like Jake says, right? Because uh, I was buying a property in 2008-9 and then next year it was worth less. But it cash flowed and the principles were, were good, right? It is fixed debt, fixed asset cash flowing. Right. And, and I remember I already have the experience of holding some properties that lost some value. Right. And now I'm seeing um, I'm, I'm, I'm executing based on cash flow, based on fixed debt. And I just kept doing that year after year after year. I didn't get tied up on what the properties were worth. I was just tied into what the cash flow was. And, and so really, if I look at it like, you know, we, we talked about that. I think we've said it in a couple of our, our events is is wealth. It's, it's made in a recession. I was fortunate enough to put those principles in line when I started the business at, you know, in 2003, four and five, where I was uh, separating myself from, from money. And I put myself in a position to be able to invest in a recession. So I made my wealth in a recession and I collected it in, in the recovery. Right. I just happened to collect it in 2016, 17 and 18. As I, you know, I got up to 80 doors in California. I sold half of them and started going into commercial right? Commercial real estate. And, and a lot of it started with unsexy single family homes, making $50, making 150 bucks a month, maybe breaking even on one. Uh, and it was unsexy until it became sexy, right? Um, and you have to get through that because some of those lessons that you learn on those single family properties are the same lessons I learned on, I have a uh, 38 unit right now that I just replaced a new roof and, and, and did all this other stuff on that. And I, we have, we have a vacancy, we have vacancies when we bought it. And then we have an economic vacancy that you have to deal with the people that are there and not paying rent. A lot of the lessons that I'm learning in those, I learned them in the single family game. Right. So, but the thing was, is, is the floor was a lot lower. So if I, if I screw up a 38 unit property, the fall is a lot harder than it was on a single family. So I learned a lot of those lessons you know, with the single family game. And then I, and I did that during the recession. So I think a lot of the people that are even listening to this call, there's going to be an opportunity for them to take action when knives are falling and everybody's scared, but that's where your wealth is going to be built. And then you'll, 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 you'll collect it at a recovery and then it becomes sexy. Right. But a lot of that happened with, with disconnecting from money. And we always say that ownership will sink stewardship. Right. Uh, and look at that in, 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 in the way that the government treats you. There's a reason why a W-2 employee doesn't see their full paycheck, because if, if, you be, if that's the case, you'll become like all 1099 employees and we're trying to avoid taxes. Right. Because guess what? Ownership of that money sinks stewardship of the country. Right. And the government knows that. Same thing with the with with church, right? When you're supposed to give and, and you're faith given, like you have to tithe. But once you take ownership, like it's my money, it's harder for you to give it away. When you know it's not yours, you're just a steward of it. Um, then it flows a lot better, and uh, and you get the emotions. You get the emotions out of it. So that's, you know, that's been a big part of of, of me being able to build uh, build my passive income. So as, as you mentioned, that a good steward of of the the ownership of that money. I mean, so like, what is it that 
you know, you've looked for. And I'm obviously that I mean, that seems like it's been a long time that you've been investing capital out there. Um, what are some of the lessons that you've learned or mistakes you've made investing in with other people? Well, I've, I've, I'm actually going to be on a panel of uh, losses when we go to Detroit at another conference. Because I have seven, I, I, I could claim that I have seven figures losses in other people, right? And bad investors, bad operators, and and it's a, it's a, it's a couple of things. So number one, I think it's important for you to ride others' wakes, right? So for me, I I purposely went into the LP positions. I have you know close to seven million dollars in just LP positions, right? Um, and that was purposeful because I see a big mistake that some of these investors have or even some W2 employees or self-employed people is they'll call me and they'll say, look, how I have a hundred thousand, I have 200,000. How can I make the most I can out of this money? Right. Do I take down a big property? Like, what do I do? And then sometimes it's, it's, it's what you don't do with it. Right. Like you should like, if you take down a property, that's going to take so much work, it might take too much of your mental capacity, right? And it might take too much time. If you have a skill set and you have an ability to make a lot of money, the best investment you can make is probably in yourself and in your own business and then increase your income, right? So I saw that initially in 2000, you know, I think this was 2014 when I first started investing in LP positions is I was looking at not the greatest return on, an, on, 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 my, uh, on my investment, my dollar. I was looking at the biggest return on my mental capacity, right? And so what I said is like, can I find really smart people, way smarter than I am and ride in their wakes, right? And Tim Rode, one of my, one of my mentors said that, they're like, Daniel, it's okay to surf others' wakes, right? People like you, Jake, that you have the skill set when it comes down to hotels and development and, and repurposing distressed assets, like you've got mastery in that, right? You've done it. You've gone through cycles. You've got lessons. You went through recessions. You did all that. So like, can I, like, it's okay to surf your waist. And I'd rather be a small, a small part of a great deal than a big part of a good deal. Right. So for me, I started investing very consistently in the LP positions as I pivoted to my mental capacity ability to focus on growing my team and my business instead of trying to chase assets and trying to repurpose assets. So that was a big part of, 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 of my my journey. But I think one of the lessons that I've learned from some bad operators was um, the, naturally you have to go through four C's of learning, they say it. And I, I modify them a little bit. Dan Sullivan says I'm a bit different, but it's, it's number one, you have to commit that you want to do a specific thing. Number two, you have to earn courage, meaning uh, you have to face fear. Number three, you find out what you're capable of, right? And then once you find out what you're capable of, you find out what your capacity is. Like, how much can I do here, right? And so naturally, as an investor, we go through all that. I'm going to buy my first family, first single family home. Number two, I'm going to I'm going to be afraid. So I'm going to earn courage. But then I find out what I'm capable of. And then you find out what your capacity is. Your capacity is usually... Your, the money, right? Like how many of these properties can you do? And what I found in the operators that I invested in is they were earning their courage on my money because there was a lot of book knowledge out there. There's a lot of people listening podcasts. They had what, what was called communicative knowledge. They didn't have revealed knowledge. And there's a difference between that is uh, communicative knowledge is somebody that, that has listened to a bunch of podcasts, you know, read a bunch of books, talked to a bunch of people, but hasn't really 
learn what their capability is, right? It's all communicative knowledge. There's a story like, for instance, Adam and Eve, a biblical story, right? Adam had what? Revealed knowledge. God came and told him not to eat from the forbidden fruit, the tree, right? What did Eve have? She had communicative knowledge, right? And what happened to Eve? She faltered, right? There's a difference between revealed, owning an asset, learning, facing fear, learning what your capability is compared to just reading and hearing about it. Right. You take down a big building. You're like, OK, you look at it, you look at vacancy, but then you see, OK, what CapEx do you have? What else is it going to take you? What does the debt structure look like? What's an economic vacancy look like? What is economic vacancy? Right. People don't even know that. But um, you learn that through just going through those four seasons. A lot of the people that I invested in, I felt had a lot of communicative knowledge and they were earning the revealed knowledge through me. Right. And so it was their first deal or they were just out of their box where they, they were they were trying to go for it and they were and they were using our funds to do it. So um, one of the lessons I learned is like, look, I need to really find an operator that has been through those four C's and just happens to be at capacity. So what they're doing is is a raising capital because they have a skill set that is going to be, benefit a lot of investors. But they've they've ran out of capital right so they've owned they own their own properties they've turned their own properties over you know um there's investors can't buy everything right uh eventually you have a skill set and you're limited like jake is only limited to the capital that you have and like look if your skill set's big it's like look you need to eventually go to those four c's again and say look i need to go into the commit i'm going to raise capital do a bigger building i'm going to face yeah, I'm going to face courage, face fear, face, get some courage. I'm going to find out what I'm capable of and find out what my new capacity is. But you, Jake, has you've done this in your own portfolio. So somebody like you, I'm like, OK, how do I marry this guy? Because he's been there and done that. You have that project in Texas, right? That that you went through some struggles on that, right? You have that that has given you so much knowledge Right. That's that goes back to revealed knowledge. You have got revealed knowledge on what it takes to build a property when the whole world shuts down. Right. And now you have supply chain issues. Now you have liquidity. Right. I want to invest in, an, in a GP that has that kind of experience and just really uh, separate the people that are just working out of communicative knowledge and hoping that the market gives them enough market lift to make anything successful because there's a lot of investors today that have exited successfully, but it wasn't because of skill set. It was because of the market, right? The market made them lucky and, uh, and they did well, but some of the investors that I invested in just, just didn't do it well because they, they only had communicative knowledge. I think that there's a, an illustration that I just did or saw the other day and then was adding to it to exactly what you just said. I did, it wasn't that way, but it's like a bird, sitting on a branch doesn't have his faith in the branch it has his faith in his ability to fly so if the market corrects the market is the branch and so and that's exactly what you're saying there's a lot of people that are masquerading as a bird that they're dependent on that branch and then if that branch falters they're falling to the ground uh, and then use that, you know, it's like, Hey, no, I have faith. I can fly. I'm ready to go. Hey, it, you know, the market changes, shifts the dynamics of that. And then obviously it's like, you know, I don't think anybody has all, all of it figured out. I still feel like I'm, you know, playing whack-a-mole here every day. It's a different, you know, the organized chaos that you spoke to earlier. Uh, I feel like that what's what today is not available. Commercial toilet flappers. That's never been a challenge ever before in the world, you know, be like, but now it is and 
Do we have to completely retool all the toilets? Does that change the plumbing? You know, how long is the delay? That costs thousands of dollars of delay, you know, interest costs. It's like all of those things that play into effect of just, you know, like you said, whack-a-mole problems. I agree. I think there's certain people that are better at solving those uh, on their feet and reactionary to that and at least have a maybe a repertoire or playbook that's a little bit available to them so they're not necessarily recreating the whole problem or the, the solution. As we're kind of wrapping up, uh, I didn't prep you for this. There's one of the questions that I, I like to ask is, um, uh, what is the single best investment that you have done that gave you a, re a return for freedom? Man, uh, good question. I think because we were talking about it, it was is probably in self, right? And that's and really, it's if I didn't invest in myself and and wrote that check, and I remember being afraid of writing that check, I wouldn't have hit that level of consciously competent. Um, but but I made a choice, so that was that was one of the best investments that I made was in myself. I love that hiring a coach, getting part of that. And so, I mean, really, it's 25% of the money you had available that you went and just like, I'm in, I'm scared. And you know what? There's been several times in my life when I've invested and I was, kind of, I was scared to do it. Like I was like, I'm over the tip of my skis. I don't know if this is a good idea. And you figure it out and you get through it. And so, I mean, again, pushing past those, those, you know, limiting beliefs. So I love that you said that. I obviously don't know all of your story. And I would have said that would be the best investment from what I do know of you. And it's funny, it never really stops, Jake, because I think about it now. It's like, I think I spent 60 to 80,000 a year in self-improvement, <laughs> you know? So you just, you just never really stops. You just, you just have to be that lifelong learner and just constantly keep you know, keep uh, elevating yourself and your knowledge and skill set. I think, yeah, in every aspect of your life. And I love that about you as well, that 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 growth mentality and that seeker and, and um, evolving of who you are. Uh, that may lead to the next question I'd like to ask you is like, what book or maybe it could be a podcast or something like that, that have you shared or gifted the most to other people um, because it's been the biggest impact on, on, on your life. Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, was important. It just goes back to, look, it's, there's two ways to do this, really, right? Like, there's, there's a lot of people live life in gratitude, right? Okay, it's good. Gratitude is great. It's amazing. It opens up doors of opportunity, right? When you can live in the form of just being grateful, like doors of opportunity that will open for you. But if you live life in servitude, that kicks the door down. Right. So uh, give and take with Adam Grant. That's, that was one of the books that I read around that. I think that book probably came out around the same time. And I've given that to every single one of my team members. I've probably given that book out a, a, a ton. That's awesome. Daniel, I, I've truly, truly enjoyed this, this, this conversation. Diving into some of those details, I think you had some some tremendous things uh, talking about the four C's, the commit, the courage, the ca the capability and the capacity. And I, I think even the the evolution of the, you know, subconscious incompetence, the, the conscious incompetent, you know, conscious competent as well, or, you know, and then to the subconscious, you know, uh, competent and mastery levels and so many golden nuggets. And I think people should, you know, go back and listen to this again, because 
was um, obviously sitting here. I have pages of notes of this. And, and uh, you know, th even that, I think I'm probably going to look at Adam Grant's book. I've read that years ago. But like you spoke about, you know, rereading the Bible, there's times that I've reread books and I've gotten in different nuggets of information out of it. There's different things because I'm a different place in my life. And uh, so I'm needing to receive different information. So I really appreciate you. Uh, and last question would be is where can people find you? You know, contact. And then what is an ask? What can they bring you? Is there something they can do to help you? If it's bringing new investors, you know, somebody selling their house, or there's anything that they can do to help uh, benefit your world in any way? What is that ask? Sure. So um, I'm not a, I, I operate a real estate team. So part of operating a real estate team is I'm, I'm a real estate agent. So I'm not a secret agent in public, right? So uh, you can find me on Instagram. You can follow me there. Um, I'm not fully in, in production, but if you guys know of anybody that's in looking to buy and sell in the Valley, feel free to reach out to me. If there's a good deal that you see that you just want another set of eyes on. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've a pretty deep knowledge of, of how to, how to look at investment properties. Feel free to reach out to me, but you can find me on Instagram or you could just Google my name. And like I said, I'm not a secret agent. So you I'm pretty, pretty easy to locate. So awesome. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate you, man. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.realestate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.